This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We understand that some of our opinions will not be shared with many people and hope you can still bear with us in order to hear amazing Wisconsin-based stories. We are not licensed therapists or able to give legal advice by any means. Our show notes will provide all of our source materials included for each episode. Now Now on on to to the the show. Another episode of All the Sins of Wisconsin. I'm Fallon and I'm here with my co-host Mims. Hello. I hope everyone is having a fabulous week. Yeah. I I've been having a really great week. It's been busy at work, but yeah. I like being busy. Being busy is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been busy this week too. Projects going on. Right. Yeah. Oh, I did have an update about the Rosalie. Rodriguez. Yes, give it to me. It's not a lot, but I found out that the DNA test was done by the University of Texas. That's random. That's what I thought. And the suspect is somebody from the south of the United States. Well, that kind of makes sense, though, because she is Peruvian. Right. So, do you think it could have been somebody from her where she's from like from Peru I don't know all it said is the south United States yeah my money's on it's from somebody she knows yeah somebody she knows from Peru because who else would I don't know that serial killer right I don't know Ooh, I thought that was interesting very interesting oh and I had a dog the bounty hunter update too oh give it to me Yeah, I guess he tried to pitch his search for Brian Laundry as a TV show. I would okay, I would watch that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I'd be so on that show. <laughs> oh, so far he does not have any taker. So <laughs> Well, I'll take it. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so I'm gonna go ahead and start. Uh, this week's episode is going to actually be my boss's home hometown story. Um, my boss, Chris, shout out, woo! Um, and I were talking about hometown cases, and he was like, have you ever heard of the guy who kidnapped people in Wisconsin Rapids? And I was instantly hooked. So he sent me a link, and ever since then I was on a deep dive on this guy. So thank you for pointing this out to me, Chris. It is quite a doozy. Awesome. I can't wait to hear. Uh, Trigger warning. This case will cover rape, sexual violence, and kidnapping. Please don't listen with your kids. Oh, it was so (laughs) cute. Okay, I got a little uh, side note on that. My friend uh, texted me a picture of herself uh, with headphones on saying, I'm listening to your episode with headphones and her kids were like in the background i'm like good i'm so happy yes headphones are required if you are listening with your children right (laughs) 
Okay, so I'm going to just dive right into it. All right. On Friday, July 4th, 2008, in Wisconsin Rapids, a 23-year-old man was walking home from a local party at a beer tent after a night of being out celebrating the 4th of July and watching the fireworks go off. He was drunk and walking around for a while near Riverview Hospital, and he decided to take a minute to sit down on the curb. As he's catching his breath, an individual in a dark-colored pickup truck stopped and asked him if he could, if he would like a ride. Uh, he accepted the offer, and he got into the passenger side of the pickup truck and began giving directions to his house. All of a sudden, the driver stopped the vehicle and told him that he worked for the Grand Rapids Police Department, instructed him to put his arms behind his back, to which he proceeded to handcuff him. I just think to myself, the fear that I would have knowing that you know that he's not a cop because that's who drives around in a pickup truck like that and then just randomly handcuffs you. Yeah, that is weird. Unless he was trying to pretend like he was undercover or something. They do have some random undercover vehicles up north. Yeah, but they're not like a beaten up old truck, though. They're They're pretty like newer vehicles and yeah i don't know i i still would be like you're not a cop yeah but we're smart right we're smart (laughs) during the ride one of the handcuffs did come off uh the young man's wrist however the driver noticed this and hit him with possibly a flashlight or a pipe the object is still unknown um the blow to his head made him lose consciousness And when he came to, he realized that he was no longer in the truck, but chained to a ladder laying on his stomach, eyes duct taped shut, and he was laying on the floor of an unknown basement. Oh my god, that had to be so scary. I can't imagine having my eyes duct taped shut. That is so, like, that is uh, the most random and horrifying thing to think of. Like, you didn't just... I don't know, wrap his head around with, like, a a mask or something, yeah. but you duct taped his eyes. Like, it will hurt yeah. ripping that off, and what a level of of terror. Yeah. Um, so, the basement being in the home of Edward Lampier, and I found that funny that this is the second Edward that I'm going to be covering. It's a little bit ironic, and I... Might be an Edward thing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, let's not name anybody else Edward for a while. <laughs> um, so eventually Edward makes his presence known by approaching him. Um, mind you, he still doesn't have his vision. And mm-hmm. with a knife, um, cutting off his clothes while he's laying there. Um, I'm not going to go into the details about what happened to this victim as it was, in, it was redacted from the formal police report. All I will say is in the is that Edward sexually assaulted and raped the young man while being held hostage. Edward also slept with him that night and cuddled him and tried caressing him, which I found to be the most sickening part of that. Well, I mean, all of it's gross, but what makes you yeah. think that somebody would want you to lovingly touch them after you violated them in such a horrific way? Yeah, that's like Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, that's exactly like what he did. Mm -hmm. Uh, During this time, Edward makes it known that this is not a safe place. He is constantly, constantly threatening him. Edward explained that he, that the reason he was 
on plastic was because if he got out of hand, uh, quote, no mess for anyone to find. So he had laid out a plastic tarp of some sort and had him laying on it so that if something were to happen, it would be an easy cleanup. That's what he meant by that. Like Dexter. Like Dexter. So he's all sorts of fucked up. Yeah. Other threats that he made to the young man was um, Edward put a shotgun shell up to his face and told him he had a shotgun and also placed that up against his face and that he could hear him load the gun. Additionally, he also indicated he had mounted the shotgun behind him and put a string from the gun that was attached to the chains that the young man was bound to. And if he moved, quote, he wouldn't be happy about it. Um, Edward was not only physically torturing him, but mentally torturing him with all of these sick mind games of no escape. Oh, wow. After four days of mental torture, sexual assault, and being held hostage, Wisconsin Rapids police entered the home of Edward Lampier and found the naked and chained 23-year-old in the basement. Plot twist, the police were called by another victim of Edward's. On July 7th, only a few days after the first kidnapping, Edward went back on the prowl. He went to a bar he frequent he frequented called Johnny's Bar. Edward was said to have played pool there once a week, always drinking soda and, and not alcohol, which I find that to be like classic predator behavior, scouting <laughs> out a place, keeping himself sober and focused while having a scheme going on while looking normal. Yeah, you know what's interesting? A lot of police hang out at that bar. Oh, do you know that bar? Yeah. Oh, wow. I've never heard of this bar. Yeah, I've been there before. Chris, have you heard of this bar? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he has. Right? Um, there he spotted another 20-year-old young man who was also at the bar drinking with his friends. After drinking late, and you know, his MO was going after some, uh, somebody that was drinking... And probably wasn't all there. So that's another sinister part is that you're getting these people at a vulnerable state. And mm-hmm. right after they're having fun, they're all their inhibitions are down. All of their guard is down. They're with people they know. They're in a public place. Yeah. That's so fucked up. It is. And one of the reasons I don't drink. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> Uh, there he's okay. I already said that. Um, after drinking late, he decided that he didn't want to drink and drive, so he decided to sleep it off for a bit, um, and slept in his car. Which I, my husband used to do that whenever he would go out downtown, he would just like sleep in his car so that he wouldn't have to drive drunk. And I think to myself, that I never thought that you could be a target just by sleeping in your car, like sleeping your drunkenness off. But apparently you are. Yeah, for sure. Everybody's a target. Yep. On July 8th, the young 20-year-old man woke up not in his car, but naked, blindfolded, and hanging in Lampier's garage, his hands bound by chains and flux cuffs. Uh, this solidified that Edward definitely planned this attack and kidnapping as the chains and cuffs were already there waiting for the another victim. He also recognized his abductor as he was a regular at the bar he often attended himself. He was beaten by a metal rod and sexually assaulted by being while he was being chained and undergoing the same 
that the other young man in the basement was going through. So this was happening at the same time. Mm -hmm. The young man held onto the love of his family and kept thinking to himself that he would one day be reunited with them. These thoughts were were the thoughts that were keeping him going. Yeah. On July 8th, a day after his kidnapping, the young 20-year-old man asked Edward for a cigarette. Edward decided he needed to go buy a pack and left. Which is always like, I hear that in so many cases where it's, they were like, oh, I need this, or like, I need food, or mm-hmm. um, can you get me like water or something like that? And then they always are like, yeah, okay. Yeah, because in their mind, they're in a relationship. Oh. All the cuddling and loving and like, oh, well, maybe if I chain them here long enough, they'll like me in three weeks. Yeah, newsflash, if you have somebody chained in your house or any sort of you're holding them hostage, you're not in a relationship. No. Mm-mm. <laughs> no. So Edward decided that he was going to go, and then the young man used his ch- chained feet to pull a- the ladder that he was chained to towards himself, climbed it, and then freed the chain that he had him tied to the ceiling in the garage, managing to fully escape from the garage. Wow. That... I couldn't, I can't believe that you can think so clearly under such a situation to be in. Mm-hmm. I think you're just like your instincts take over at that point. Oh, for sure. So he ran naked, chains dangling from his wrists and ankles to a neighbor and called police, not knowing that there was another victim in the basement while making the call. Oh, wow. So I'm going to go into the investigation. During the search of Edward's house, investigators found a litany of strange and borderline incriminating items. They found different types and sizes of chains, locks, ropes, zip ties, duct tape, a noose, two dozen firearms, mostly rifles and shotguns, pill bottles, gay pornography, which, you know, if you're gay or if you're not, whatever, if you have that, who cares? Yeah. Various blankets, rugs, and clothing with stains on them. And the most interesting items found was a newspaper clipping from Monday, July 7th, which covered the missing Wood County men with certain articles highlighted. Another newspaper article was found about the death of a college student, Brittany Zimmerman, a Marshfield native who was stabbed in her Madison apartment. Brittany was a student at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And then I'm not going to go into more on that. Um, sentencing for Edward Lampier. At the age of 47, he was held under a $1 million bond and was charged with four felonies in exchange for nine others being dropped as he faced 130 years in prison in Wood County. The charges dropped were first-degree sexual assault with use of a dangerous weapon, First degree recklessly endangering the safety, uh, false imprisonment, uh, substantial battery, intent bodily harm, and impersonating an officer. Uh, he pleaded no contest. And then the Wood County Circuit Court Judge Gregory Potter said he imposed a term recommended by prosecutors because he was a, which was a virtual life sentence. During the court proceedings, a few important people made haunting statements. One of the victims was present during the sentencing, 
and his mother stated, What they endured in captivity, no one should have to endure. We need to make sure this predator is locked up so he doesn't hurt any more boys. She also compared him to Jeffrey Dahmer, which is funny because you said that too. Yeah, that's. it sounds like a similar kind of mentality. Yeah, I agree. Judge Potter stated, Mr. Lampier, you are everyone's worst nightmare. The things that you did, people read about in books or see in movies. Judge Potter also read the other victim's statement as he was not present during the court sentencing, which I don't blame him. Yeah. He stated, I just want my life to go on as normal and be done with all of this, but I know this isn't going to happen anytime soon, which breaks my heart. Yeah, it's really sad. Edward sat there shackled like his victims and addressed the courtroom by saying, no person deserves the terror I put them through. No one put my but myself was at fault. No shame should be felt by anyone but myself. Which I'm surprised he took responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Dahmer did the same thing too, though, didn't he? He was like, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Must be like a shared thing. Yeah. As the judge read the sentence of 50 years of incarceration and 20 years under extended supervision to be served after for kidnapping, uh, first degree sexual assault with use of a dangerous weapon, a class B felony, kidnapping, carrying without consent, a class C felony, and then first degree sexual assault, another class B felony because it was for both victims. Right. Edward stood silent and unemotional. The one victim wiped away a tear while his father reached out and held his shoulder. Aww. Um, I have another um, red flag alert. The normal-looking people that work at a paper mill for 20 years like Edward are not always safe. So everybody make sure that if you think to yourself, this person seems normal, this person doesn't look strange... That doesn't mean that they're not. Very true. So, red flag, number 45. (laughs) (laughs) You can definitely not tell just by looking at someone if they're crazy and a killer or not. No. Yeah. Yeah. I actually remember when this case happened. Do you really? Yeah. Because I was in Wisconsin Rapids for the 4th of July, and I remember, like... No. Reading about the people getting kidnapped, like, the first person and then another person. Yeah. It's like, what is going on? Yeah. Like, who would do this? So, I was obviously talking to my boss about this, and he goes, I went to school with, I believe it was his nephew, and they have the same last name. Mm-hmm. And just by that, obviously, the nephew didn't do anything, but yeah. it has this sort of, I'm not going to associate with you. Right. So, it, it affects... Obviously, the victims, the victim's family, but this person's family, too. Like, they're going to be judged. They're going to be almost, like, scorned because of the heinousness that this person did. And obviously, that's embarrassing. I would be embarrassed Mm -hmm. if my uncle was out there kidnapping and raping people. Right. And in such a small town like that, it's a small town. Yeah. Everybody hears about everything yes. so everybody even if the victims names aren't published mm-hmm. everybody knows who they are right which and is probably why they kept everything 
very close to the chest with these. I don't know the the victims' yeah. names, and rightfully so. Like I don't. Right. If that's not what they want, then that's that's up to them. They have gone through enough as it is. Like if they don't want people to know, then that's totally yeah. up to them. Absolutely. Uh. To the other, or the other victim has been kept out of the headlines. His identity remains sealed, and I can only hope that he has gotten help to overcome such a traumatic and vicious experience. I'm going to conclude with a quote that the 20-year-old survivor stated to the Daily Tribune, It's made me stronger. I know this will scar me for the rest of my life, but it's not going to change who I am. He also stated that he's doing well and is grateful for the support he has received from the community. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I'm glad he's doing well. It's always good when somebody is triumphant in these situations. Yes, I totally agree. I hope the best for both of them. I know what they went through is horrific and will, like he said, scar them for that's can't fully bounce back from that because that is just nobody should go through that. Right. So I hope they're out there living their best lives. I hope so too. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) And now I'm going to talk about Brittany Zimmerman. You mentioned. Mm -hmm. So, Brittany Zimmerman was a 21-year-old student. She was a junior at UW-Madison, majoring in microbiology and immunology. Wow. Yeah, those are some tough majors. Yeah. (laughs) She was described by her family as warm and loving, and she had hopes of earning her medical degree so that she could go on to help people. Her mom always emphasized, like, she wasn't trying to become a doctor to get rich. She was trying to become a doctor because she really wanted to make a difference. I love that. Me too. And on the morning of April 2nd, 2008, Brittany had an exam at the UW, and then she walked home to her off-campus housing on West Doty Street. She shared that apartment with her fiancé and their three cats. Oh. At 1 p.m. on this day, her fiancé, Jordan Gonnering, I don't know if I said that right, but doing my best. We'll go with it. (laughs) He arrived home, and he found Brittany dead. Which is so tragic for him. Right. And traumatic. Yeah. He quickly called the police. And fortunately, he was ruled out as a suspect almost immediately because the police came and they found that the outside door to their building had been forced open. Mm -hmm. And at the time of her death, police reported that she died from a complexity of traumatic injuries. So Madison police loves to be really vague. Yeah. Really vague. Yeah. But they said this is for investigative purposes. Okay. It helps their investigation when they give the public and the family oh. very, very little information. I don't agree with the family aspect of that. I, If something were to happen to my family member, I need the details. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Me too. Because if you don't have them, then I'm going to make them up in my mind. <laughs> right? Yeah. I, yeah. My my mind will go to the darkest and strangest places. So yeah, please give me them or else I will spiral. Yeah. my I have an active imagination. It's going to be all over the place. <laughs> right. So not long after her death, her case began to draw major attention from local and some national news networks. 
because it seemed to be one of a series of random killings happening in the area. I don't know if people know, but around this time in Madison, there was a lot of homicides going on. Mm -hmm. And, of course, people start to think it might be just one person doing it. Right. And Madison isn't that far from Wisconsin Rapids either. It's like maybe an hour and a half, hour and 15 minutes, something like that. We'll get the facts. Yeah. It's not a bad drive. (laughs) (laughs) And the other thing that brought national attention was errors made by 911 operators. Have you heard about this part of the story? I have not heard almost anything, so enlighten me. So on the day of her murder, Zimmerman had called 911, and she stated she was being attacked by a stranger. Hour and 52 minutes. Yeah. Not too bad. Right. For a serial killer. (laughs) Right. So, she called 911. She told them she was being attacked. Okay. What what was done? And her screams and her struggle for her life were captured by a 911 tape. However, the police did not show up for 48 minutes. (gasps) The 911 operator would later say that they did not hear anyone on the other end of the call, and they disconnected the call. Bullshit! Yeah. They didn't say anything to her. They hung up on her. Mm Mm-hmm. And... There was a whole investigation into the 911 department, and the 911 operator tried to stick with that story. But in case people don't know, all 911 calls are recorded. Mm -hmm. So if you do have to go to court, the prosecution and the defense can get those calls. So they don't just disappear. No. They're held for a certain number of years. Okay, good. Yeah. So they pulled the call, and her whole murder was on the 911 tape. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that was the first of many issues in this case. So Zimmerman had been stabbed multiple times near her heart. They would later let everybody know what happened. She had also been beaten and strangled. Wow. She had managed to call 911 at 12.20 p.m. So one of the other crazy parts of this story is it's the middle of the day. Like, she walked home from her exam. Mm Mm-hmm. She called 911 at 1220. Her boyfriend, her fiance found her by one o'clock. So there's a very wow. short window right there. Yep. And this isn't far from campus. Mm-hmm. It gets off campus housing, but it's a very populated area and there's students all around. Right. And in the middle of the day in spring, there's people walking around everywhere. Right. So, people in their dorms, people studying, you know. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Mm hmm. So, Dane County received a lot of criticism in this case, Mm. which, you know, I feel is completely warranted. Yeah. Yeah. The public believes a faster response could have saved Brittany's life and gotten a brutal murderer off of the street. The police stated they immediately believed the attacker was a stranger, although I don't really think they deserve credit for this revelation since she actually called them and told them, I'm being attacked by a stranger. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, we know it was a stranger. Like, no shit. The victim told you it was a stranger. Right. That was no kind of detective work. Mm-mm. So, according to reports, Zimmerman's door, like I said, showed signs of forced entry, and her family and friends stated that no one would have a personal reason to attack Brittany. Like, she didn't have any enemies or any shady business dealings or you know anything she was just a normal yeah normal girl yeah junior in college yeah with her major she was probably really busy doing homework right 
and she was planning her wedding. Oh, man. Yeah. So the police were unable to determine a motive at the time. So, of course, the first theory was that she was the victim of a serial killer. Because if you don't know what happened, it had to have been a serial killer. Right. Called the Criminal Minds team in. (laughs) (laughs) And during the investigation, police received numerous leads regarding what they call vagrants that frequented Zimmerman's neighborhood begging for money. And I have a little note here, like, begging broke college kids for money is probably not the way to go. No. should probably go to a different neighborhood. They're also broke. Like, yeah. I, when I was in college at the dorms, I had money for food and for literally nothing else. So. Yeah, food and gas. Yeah, not your target. No, not your target audience for begging. No. No. Hang out by target. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> and then warrants revealed more information about the details of the scene but i'm not going to go into like all the, the details about everything because okay. i don't think it's helpful in this case but they did release information about the weapon which was described as a knife two to five inches long but police did not say if they had found the murder weapon at the scene or not okay. they did say they collected dna hair and blood samples, fingerprints, and footprints. But despite all of this evidence, her case will go unsolved for years. So at some point, a man named Andrew Scholes would come forward and state that he had information about who murdered Zimmerman. Scholes, however, was not just a lovely concerned citizen. He was a felon looking for a deal. Oh, He had already told many people that his former roommate, David Call, had confessed to Zimmerman's murder. In 2014, Scholes, who was serving time in a West Virginia federal prison, was interviewed by detectives from the Madison Police Department. At this time, he admitted that Call said he killed Zimmerman, but he would be giving them no further information. He did not want to cooperate with them. Wow. Then in 2016, Zimmerman's mother sent a video to Scholes through his parole officer. In this video, she pleaded with him to speak to police and tell them what he knew. After he watched the video, he agreed he would speak with police, but only if the government would, quote, give him his life back. (laughs) So you commit a crime and then you play the victim card? Yeah, it's pretty typical. Wow, classy. Mm Mm-hmm. Apparently, Scholes wanted a presidential pardon. (laughs) I literally almost (laughs) took a drink of my coffee. (laughs) For a 2010 marijuana conviction and a 2014 felony gun conviction. Too bad Trump wasn't in office. He probably could have got it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Just added his name to the list. (laughs) Scholes wanted all of this because he wanted his gun collection back. His gun collection included 19 different guns that were seized by the police in his 2014 case. 14. Yeah. And that's what he was telling Zimmerman's mom. Like, yeah, I will cooperate, but I want my life back so I can have my guns back. Because my guns are my life. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so... In 2015, Scholes was released on extended supervision, and then he just went about living his normal life. And then I was reading an article from Isthmus. I hope I said that right. That's a 
Madison like local publication. They're an independent newspaper. Oh, okay. So they usually have really good information. So they were able to obtain a document which had previously been sealed. And this document is a letter from Skoll's attorney, Joseph Bugney. Bugney wrote the letter to a federal judge detailing his many efforts to arrange interviews between Skoll's and police. It states that Skoll's was willing to testify against Call if he were to be prosecuted. The Dane County DA office, through the federal prosecutor, basically said if Skoll's had information to share, he could walk in and share it just like anyone else. Wow. Yeah. They're great. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. not the way you should do things. No. And then Scholes ended up dying from a motorcycle accident on August 5th. He got into the 2017. In July, he got into the accident, and then he was in the hospital, and then he ended up dying in August. Mm. So there would be no information coming from him. Wow. No one from either side, either Bugney or the prosecution, wanted to discuss why a deal was never reached. Bugney never answered the phone for Isthmus, and the prosecution said it's unethical to speak about open cases. Bugney, in his letter, had detailed all of his attempts that were made via phone and mail. And basically all Scholes really wanted and all Bugney asked for was an agreement for Scholes not to be charged with obstruction for knowing about the crime. Like, if my client comes forward and gives you all this evidence mm-hmm. or, like, the whole detailed information about what happened, right? do you agree not to charge him for obstru- obstruction? <laughs> Which is just a petty misdemeanor offense anyways. Like, oh, you right. probably get a ticket for it. So, people don't really like when people try to make deals, but at the same time, if you're the attorney, you can't just be like, yeah, sure, give my client some more charges. Right. <laughs> And the DA, the Dane County DA's office replied that they would need a detailed account of what information Skulls could provide before they would agree to do this. So Bugney complied and he provided a proffer statement via email. So he gave them a detailed information about what his client knew and what he could tell them via email. Mm-hmm. And this email also went unanswered. Oh. So... It seems like failure after failure by the county in this case. Yeah. And then moving away from that part, according to a report from WKOW-TV, two months after Zimmerman was murdered, David Call, the one that Skulls is saying he has information on, was questioned by police. At that time, he admitted to being in the, in the area trying to scam students out of money so he could buy crack cocaine. <laughs> but he did not admit to knowing anything about Zimmerman's murder. He's like, yeah, I was in our neighborhood. I was trying to get students to give me money for crack. But. <laughs> I love that he just, like, <laughs> brazenly admitted that. It's yeah. like, yeah, I like crack. <laughs> yeah. Well, he has a long track record of crime, so I don't think, like, being like, yeah, I smoke crack was a big deal for him. Right. So he's probably like, it's a well-known fact that I like crack. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> And in 2016, he then admitted that he was at Zimmerman's house on the day that she died, but he didn't kill her. Like, oh. hey, I was there. I guess I was there when I was trying to scam people for money for crack, but uh, I didn't kill her, though. Wow. Mm-hmm. So 
In 2016, Zimmerman's mother also came forward to the media against the wishes of law enforcement and said that she knew there had, in fact, been a DNA match in the case of many months ago. And from my separate research, it looks like this DNA match was actually in 2014. And that's what led them going to talk to schools in West Virginia the first time. Because they knew that call's DNA matched. Oh, They wow. just didn't know why. So the mom knew about this. They told the mom in 2016. And then they told her not to go. Yeah, not to go public with the information. That is outrageous. Like, you're not doing anything. You mm-hmm. have this DNA hit. What do you expect me to do? Just sit here? That's exactly what they expected her to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, law enforcement said that they did not have enough DNA evidence, or they didn't have enough evidence in general yet to file charges against anyone. And we would later find out that this DNA was matched to call, but they never said, like, if it was, like, on her clothing or what kind of DNA it was. We don't know where the DNA was found, what it was. I'm guessing it wasn't, like, super incriminating DNA that they said they didn't have enough evidence to charge him. They were still trying to talk to schools. I still feel like these two people, Brittany and Skulls... Skulls? Skulls. Skulls. Yeah. Run in two different circles. And the fact that his DNA is even there is very unlikely in, in any way to have happened with her wanting him to be there mm-hmm. just knowing the type of person she is or she was yeah exactly which i think is why call changed his story about being at her house like at first he's like yeah no idea what happened i was like down the block trying to get crack <laughs> to being like oh yeah i was at her house right because because he knew he knew yeah he left dna somewhere Because you always leave DNA somewhere Mm -hmm. every time you touch something. Right. So, at the time that they got this DNA match, Call was already serving time in prison for his seventh OWI. And I looked up his record. He has, like, numerous theft charges. And he's on the sex offender registry, but whatever sexual offense he had must have, like, predated our open records because I don't see it on CCAP. So it's probably still like a paper document. I mean, but he had sexually assaulted somebody previously. He has numerous theft charges, and this was his seventh OWI. Oh wow! So he had he had a lot Shit. of issues. Yeah, he had some drug say. charges. We know he's trying to get crack. <laughs> right. <laughs> he's drunk all the time. Right. Yeah. So he's a whole mess. Right. So, finally, on March 20th, 2020, Call was charged with the homicide of Brittany Zimmerman. So, it wasn't your guy, after all. It was not. And, you know, I find it, I found it really weird that somebody that had nothing to do with it, seemingly, um, had that in their belongings. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't have... Well, I guess I could because we're doing this now. I was going to say, I don't have random clippings of things like that. But, I mean, now I could. So, I... Okay. Don't look at me. (laughs) All I'm saying is this guy was already doing bad things. And he kept clippings of his own crimes. Yeah. Which is 
which was a red flag for the investigators when they were going through his stuff. Right. What was the tie? Yeah. And we still don't know. Right. Yeah. We don't know. And it's weird. He just, like, liked it. I want to say there is a tie. I want to say that there is some... Like, maybe they knew each other? Or... Right. Right. There's got to be a reason why he kept that. And it can't be, oh, because... You should email him. <laughs> <laughs> no way, Jose. <laughs> <laughs> like, can you please explain this? Because give me the facts. We need more information, right? Well, David Call would go on to say he's not competent to stand trial, so they had to do a whole competency hearing. So, if you don't know how that works, you have to like go to all these therapists and stuff. And competency is like the lowest standard possible. People are just like, oh, I'm not sure if that person's competent. If you know that you're in the courtroom and you know what a judge is and you know your lawyer is there to help you, you're competent. It doesn't matter how dumb you are, how unstable you are, Mm -hmm. you're still competent to stand trial. What do you think would be considered being incompetent? Just like almost like brain dead? Yeah. Okay. You have to have like a kindergarten understanding of things. Even some kindergartners probably understand the court say, process. They put kindergartners up on that stand and they they mm-hmm. be saying things that are factual, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know what would be incompetent. I think you have to have like a really documented mental illness. Like if you're schizophrenic and you're not aware of what's happening in reality, mm-hmm. but if you don't have a mental illness and you're just claiming like, you have a really low IQ, mm-hmm. it has to be really, really low mm-hmm. for that to work. Yeah. Especially since you have an attorney. Right. They're there to represent you. Even yeah. if you're slow, stupid, and dumb. Like, Yeah. You just have to understand that your attorney's there to help you and that the judge is going to decide what happens to you. Right. And then you're competent. It's a really, really low standard. <laughs> I don't even know why people try. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you have to, but. Yeah, I guess. So, this case has not yet concluded. It's still going on right now. No kidding. Yeah. So, they recently determined he was competent, and then there's going to be a pretrial, I think, in November. He's being held on a $1 million bail. $1 million so, like cash. like my guy? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. In Wisconsin, we don't have bail bondsmen. You have to pay the whole million dollars. <laughs> right. Or you're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. So, he'll be sitting there for a while until... Can figure this out, right? And it's been thirteen, over thirteen years, and her family's just been going through this this whole time. Her mom has kept the case in the media, and like had money raised to try to find out information. You know, she went as far as making this video for the guy that was in prison. She's she's worked so hard. And what do you I, mean a video for the 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 guy? The the informant Skulls. Oh, okay. she. She had sent the video to him, okay. begging him to come forward with the information. Like she's done everything possible. Could you imagine you you lose your child and then you have to beg? You have to be you have to be put in a position of begging for answers. Yeah, and Call was a suspect within a few days, and it still took them thirteen years to charge him. That is ludicrous. Yeah, a lot of times people are like, I don't know why they don't know who did it. And so many times they know who did it. Right. 
Like, we can't win a case. Or, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. This is the most messed up case mm-hmm. from the beginning with the 911 call. Yeah, the 911 call definitely killed me. Yeah. I can't imagine. I mean, I can't imagine that 911 operator feels very good about themselves at this point. But I hope there was consequences for that. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that they would openly say, like, this person's being fired, you know, like, I... They should. They should. Yeah, they should. But I don't know if they would say that. But yeah, they probably wouldn't. But my understanding is, anytime you call nine one one, the police show up. I don't know if that happened oh. after this case. Like, if you call nine one one and they try to call you back, right? And you don't like verify there's nothing wrong, right? They send police to make sure you're okay, right? They don't just. They don't just <laughs> this be person. Like, this person was not qualified. No, not at all. No. That's all I got for Brittany then. Oh, rest in in peace, Brittany. Yes, definitely. And I hope that her fiance has been able to... Oh, yeah. Is there anything on him? Not that I found. I. The last sad part of it that I read was that he put the engagement ring on her finger afterwards. Like, yeah. Like... He hadn't bought it yet because they were saving up money because they were college students and he went and bought it. Oh, my God. I know. It broke my heart. Yeah. I'm so sad. Yeah. He put it on her finger. Yeah. So I hope he can move on and have a happy life now. Me too. I don't know how, but I hope he does. Yeah. I mean, not that you can, you want to move on from that person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with, but I mean, you still have... That was 13 years ago, and they were pretty young, right? How old was she? 21. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you still have a whole lifetime, Mm -hmm. and maybe he'll honor her by being happy. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, you guys, for listening. Yeah, thank you. And subscribe to our channel wherever we are, Spotify, Yeah, I seen we're – ooh, I seen that we're on um, Apple Oh, good. We're on Apple now, so you can like us on there, too. And we can get reviews on Apple, so if you love us, leave reviews. Yes. You can email us with case ideas. If you have a hometown, you can share your whole story. Yes, please. I really want to read it and let everybody know about that. So please write it in, uh, you know, in your own words. That would be awesome. Yeah, we would love that. Um. Oh, also, shout out to uh, India. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) We have listeners in India now. One person, but that still counts. Yeah. Um, So, Which is crazy. Can you imagine, like, somebody in India is listening to us talk about crimes in Wisconsin? They're like, these Wisconsin chicks know what's up. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) We love you, India. We love you, France. We love you, Australia. And we love you, USA and Wisconsin. Yeah, we love all of our listeners, and we appreciate you. Mm -hmm. And we will be back again with you next week. Yep. Toodaloo. Bye. All the Sins of Wisconsin was written, recorded, edited, and produced by Fallon and Mims. Thank you so much to all of our listeners, supporters, friends, and family that continually allow us to do what we love. If you love our show as much as we love you, please give us a glowing rating and review. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see what we are up to and email us your sinner tales at 
all the sins of wi at gmail.com. Episodes of All the Sins of Wisconsin are available for free wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't, don't forget, forget, we love you. Love you.